good morning, Prince family. It is so good to be here with you this morning. I'm really thankful that Pastor Josh gives us opportunities like this. And I just want to begin this opportunity by just saying a heartfelt thank you to you. My wife, Jillian, and I, we talk about often how just truly grateful we are to be here at Prince Avenue Baptist Church, to worship alongside you, to serve alongside you, to learn alongside you. It is a true and genuine joy. And, and just as the college pastor at Prince, I want to say a specific thank you because I am just so grateful to be a part of a church that values investing in college students. That is a genuine just joy to be a part of. Prince has a long legacy of that. So from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you to you. Even if you are not directly involved in the college ministry, I want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank you for your generosity. I want to thank you for just the genuine spirit of love and joy that is in this place every time that we gather. It is a pleasure to serve here at this church. One of the things that we've been talking about a lot in the college ministry here recently is the importance of not missing out on the moments that we are in. You see, as a college ministry, and I think as a church as a whole, we're experiencing a lot of momentum right now. Like this is an exciting time to be at Prince, amen? You can be a little bit more excited. It's an exciting time to be at Prince, amen? Uh, there we go. There we go. It's an exciting time. God's doing incredible things. But one of the things that I've been talking about with the students is that in the midst of everything that God is doing, I don't want us to miss a single thing of what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us. You see, what we talk about a lot here is that we want to be a Psalm 67 people. And Psalm 67 talks about the idea that we have been blessed by God to be a blessing to the nations. That we have been blessed by the Lord to be a blessing to the world around us. And that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church. I want to lead a ministry of college students who steps out into the world for the glory of God who receives the blessing of the Lord, but does not just keep it with us, but moves out and seeks to bless the world around us. I wanna be a part of a people that pushes back against the kingdom of darkness and is a part of the kingdom of light advancing here in these days. You see, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about how we live in such a fragile world and how in the midst of a fragile world, we do not need a fragile church. And that's what I want to be a part of. I wanna be a part of a solid church who knows the truth of who God is and who moves out into the world differently, who seeks to love and lead and point all people to the glory of our risen King, Jesus. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Pastor Josh told me whenever he asked me to preach that I could pick any book of the Bible that I wanted to, to speak from. So I want to invite you right now to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Just kidding. So that would have been awesome though, right? I want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of 1 John chapter 4. I don't think any of us have touched Hebrews for a really long time. So uh, 1 John chapter 4, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn there. Before we dive into this passage together, I think it's important for us to know some context. This is a letter, 1 John is a letter written by the apostle John, the one who walked with Jesus. And, and this may be hard for you to imagine living in the world that we live in today, but John is writing this letter to a group of people who's living in the midst of a day that people are just having a hard time getting along 
right? Like it's just, maybe, maybe you can imagine that, right? Like there's a lot of division. There's a lot of hostility. There's a lot of animosity in the midst of the days that John is writing into. There's people who believe a whole host of things about who we are, who we are meant to be, and how we are meant to function in this world. And so this is the Apostle John, who at this point in his life, we could say is a little advanced in years. He's older, he's wiser. And just like Pastor Josh talked about a few weeks ago, he is far more relevant at this point in time because he has wisdom to share. And so out of love for this group of believers living in a day in which there's so much hostility, so much animosity, he writes this letter to them to encourage them. And if you read through the entirety of the letter of 1 John, what you will see is these two main themes begin to surface. The importance of clinging to the truth of who God is and loving one another well. He's writing to this group of people, living amongst a culture of division and animosity. And he's saying, if you want to be a part of something different, if you want to push back against the darkness, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of light, then you need to know the truth of who God is and you need to love one another well. I love that spirit in John. I love that that's the wisdom that he is sharing with this group of believers because I believe this is a wisdom that we desperately need in our culture today because we're still living in in amongst divided days. There's so much division. There's so much animosity. And if we're going to be people who are part of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, advancing into the darkness, advancing into the brokenness, then we too need to know the truth of who God is. And we need to let that transform the way that we live, specifically the way in which we love one another. So that's what this text is going to show us this morning. It's going to give us more of a picture of God's love for us and show us how we're meant to love one another in response. So if you're there in 1 John chapter 4, say amen. I've always wanted to do that. Um, All right. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, it says this, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. 
But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I love this passage. It has so much to say to us about the love that God has for us and how we are meant to love others in response. And I want to point several things out to you this morning. The first thing that I want you to see is just as John calls this group of believers to love one another, I want you to see his reason for why. In the first verse that I read, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. I want you to see that here. I want you to notice his logic. I want you to notice his argumentation as he's pleading for these people to love one another well. He is pointing upstream. He is pointing to where love originates. He's not pointing downstream into what love results in. This is significant, I think. You see, we in our day, if we're trying to motivate someone to do something, we tend to point towards the results. And so we'll say things like, hey, you should study really hard for that test so that you can get a good grade on the test. Or hey, you should work really hard that job so that you can get that promotion. We're a results-driven people. And so whenever we're trying to motivate others, we tend to point towards the results. But that's not what John does here. Whenever John is encouraging these people to love one another, he doesn't point towards the results. He doesn't point towards what it's going to result in. He points to where love originates. He says, beloved, love one another because love is from God. See, in the original language, this actually um, translates to this idea of the, the literal translation of this is those who are loved, let us love. That's what that translates to. So he's writing to this group of believers and he's reminding them, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to him, then you are already loved by the king of kings, the king of the universe, the God of all, the God of heaven and earth. You are already loved. Now move towards others in love. He's encouraging them. Loved ones go and love one another, not because of where it leads, Not because of what it results in, but because of who you belong to. Because of where love originates. You love because God is love. And so from the get-go in this passage of scripture, what I want you to see is this. What John is showing us is that our love for others is directly tied to God's love for us. Our love for one another is directly tied to God's love for us, which means that we are meant to take our cues for how we are to love one another, not just from the culture around us, not from the world at large, but from the God who made us. And this is significant, and I want you to hear this because in the world in which we are living in, the culture loves to preach about the importance of love. That love is what is needed, that we need more love in our communities, we need more love in our cities, we need more love in our world. And I would agree with that with one important caveat, that if our love of one another is divorced from our love from God, then it doesn't mean anything. 
It does not result in anything significant. It only is about us. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. Many of you know C.S. Lewis. And he writes about this idea in one of his most famous works, Mere Christianity. Uh, He says, I'm just going to read a couple of lines from this chapter. He says, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. Of course, what these people mean when they say that God is love is often something quite different. They really mean, hear this, they really mean love is God. They really mean that our feelings of love, however and wherever they arise and whatever results they produce are to be treated with great respect. C.S. Lewis said that decades ago. And it's still true today. This is the world's view of love. Here's what the world does. The world wants to make a God out of love rather than looking to the God who is love. And that is incredibly different. That will never produce lasting change. That will never produce anything significant because that viewpoint is all about self. It's all about me. And it is not love. And so what I want to point you to, I want so much more for us than I want us to know with certainty the love with which God has loved us, true, real love that comes from the God who is love. I want us to see that, to receive that, to experience that personally, and then to move out into the world with that same love as we love one another, as we love those around us. So with the time that we have left this morning, I want to point you to three truths about God's love for you and one practical application. Three truths about God's love for you and one practical application found in 1 John chapter 4. If you're a note taker, you can jot this one down. The first one is this. God's love initiates. God's love initiates. I'm getting this idea from 1 John chapter 4 verse 9. It says this. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What we see there is the way in which God's love was made manifest is that he sent his son to live in this world. God initiated. He was the one to take the first step, not us. I think this is really important for us to wrap our minds around because there's this false idea out there that we are the ones who have to take the first steps towards God. That our relationship with God is all about us getting right with God, us taking steps towards him and us being the one that finds God. But that mentality, it really, it just puts all the pressure on us to make things right with the Lord. And I'm just here to tell you, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we were all dead in our sins, Ephesians 2. That we were lost and without hope in this world. That we could do nothing to earn the favor or earn the love of God or to prove ourselves to him. That we all, in our own efforts and by our own power, we all run from God rather than running to God. This is the nature of mankind. But the good news of the gospel and the good news of the story of scripture is that we have a God who has pursued us in our rebellion. He has chased after us. He has pursued us. He has initiated this love relationship with us. 
And that's significant. And I think that sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our minds around this because this is so different from most of our relationships. Most of our relationships with one another have at least some element of proving ourselves to each other, right? Like I was, I was thinking about this uh, earlier this week. One of our pastors on staff here, his name is Scott Moody. Many of you know Scott. Scott has four children, three boys and one little girl. And my wife, Jillian and I, we've gotten really close to Scott and Jessica and the kids. And whenever they first moved here, we went over to their house and we're like playing board games. And their little girl, she's four years old now, her name's Amelia. We were just, we were buds, right? Like we went to the park one time with Scott and his kids and played baseball and Amelia's there. We're just having a blast. Well then, randomly, Amelia just decided that we are no longer friends. She didn't consult me about the situation. She didn't tell me why. She just decided no longer friends with Adam. And so I pass her in the hallway and I like try to give her a fist bump, but she just like look at me and like walk away. Right? It was really, it was really heartbreaking for me. Right? And and so I remember very vividly this one moment. We were standing outside the the preschool check-in desk, and I was sitting there talking to Scott and another one of our pastors, Sky. And Amelia runs up, and I, I try to give her a fist bump, and she just like looks at me. And then Sky Pratt bends down, and I'm not kidding you guys, four-year-old girl looks me dead in the face, gives Sky Pratt a fist bump. <laughs> I'm just like, what is going on here? And so I finally, I finally just asked her. I said, Amelia, all right, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for us to be friends again? And she looks at me, not kidding. She looks at me, four years old, and she goes, chocolate. <laughs> and I was like, Okay. I guess that's the price of friendship around here. So what did I do? I went and grabbed her a bag of M&Ms. I came to her, I gave her the M&Ms and she gave me a fist bump and we're buds again. I don't know how long that bag of M&Ms lasts. I might be past the statute of limitations on that. Who knows? But that's just, that was the price of her friendship. I had to prove something to her. I had to earn her friendship. And that's a funny story. But if we're honest in the room this morning, I think that there's many of us who think that way when it comes to our relationship with God. That we know, at least intuitively enough, that there's something wrong with us. That there's something broken within us. And we hear about a holy, perfect God, and we know that we can't measure up to him. And so we think that it's up to us to do something to prove ourselves to him. But I'm just here to tell you this morning that that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God saw you in your sinful state, that he pursued us in our rebellion and chased after us, that in love, he took steps towards us. This love of God moves towards the beloved. And I want you to hear that this morning. God's love initiates. But not only does God's love initiate, the second truth that we see is God's love sacrifices. God's love sacrifices. Continuing in verse 10, John continues to expound upon this idea. And he says this, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So John, again, reminds us that we didn't initiate this relationship. He says explicitly, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us by sending his son. But then he says a little further that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation for 
our sins. Now, that word, propitiation, it oozes theology and religion. And unless you've covered that word maybe in your community groups and your study on doctrine here recently, my guess is you probably haven't used it in a normal sentence here recently. What you need to know about this word propitiation is that it carries this idea of something being settled or appeased. To use another biblical word to describe it is something being atoned for. It's a debt being paid. And this is important for us to understand because what the Bible teaches us is that our sin causes separation from God. Our sin accrues a debt that we could never pay on our own. That all of our sin, not just as a collective whole as humanity, but individually, our sin accrues a debt against a holy and perfect God. But what the Bible teaches is that God initiates, he moves towards us, and then he sacrifices. That God became a sacrifice for you. The story of the gospel is that Jesus left heaven. He came to earth, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. God with us, Emmanuel. And that he lived a perfect life. The one that you and I never could. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And at the end of his life, he surrendered his life on the cross of Calvary, taking on the sins of the entire world, buried in a tomb, rising from the grave three days later, defeating sin and death so that whoever trusts and follows him can receive forgiveness for their sins. He stood in our place of condemnation so that we could stand in his place of honor. He took our shame and our sin and the payment for our rebellion so that we we could receive his reward. And if we have surrendered our life to him, then we are made alive. We are made alive. God's love sacrifices. And you need to hear that truth personally for you. Don't just hear this in a big scale. Understand that God did this for you. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you. Your sin has accrued a debt, but he paid a price so that you can be set free. God's love sacrifices. The last truth that we see about God's love from this text is this. God's love abides. God's love abides. I'm getting this from verses 15 and 16 of our chapter. I'll read it again for you. It says this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. God's love abides. And that word abides, it carries this idea of remaining closely beside. Of clinging closely to and I want you to see the truth in this text. This text is showing us that God's love abides in those who have confessed Jesus Christ to be the son of God. That's what this text says. And that's a really important clarifier that God abides in those who have professed the truth that Jesus is the son of God who has purchased our freedom. 
His love abides in those who have confessed the truth of God. So what this text is showing us is that for us to truly experience the fullness of God's love for us, then we must be in a relationship with God. And what the Bible teaches us is that the only way for us to be in a relationship with our creator, truly redeemed, truly in a relationship with him, is through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Jesus himself tells us this whenever he says, boldly proclaiming, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What no one comes to the Father except through me. In order for us to experience the fullness of God's love for us, we must actually be in relationship with him. But the only way we can be in relationship with him, the only way that our debt can be atoned for, that, our, that we can receive that propitiation, that we can step into a relationship with him is through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. That's why we emphasize this so much here, that we want all people to trust and follow Jesus, trusting in Jesus for their salvation and following him wherever he leads. This is what the Bible teaches. If you want to be in relationship with God, then you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the son of God and you have to believe in your heart that God has risen him from the grave. And whenever you make that profession, the Bible says that we come alive, that we are adopted into the family of God, recipients of the inheritance of grace. We are made children of God and nothing, nothing can take that love away from us. God's love abides. And like I said, that word abides, it has this idea of clinging closely Two, and it's, it is two-sided. There's this idea that we are meant to abide in God, that we as his children, we're meant to pursue after him with all that we have clinging closely to him. But we trust that even whenever our own efforts fail, his never will. And that he's clinging closely to us and he will never let us go. I think about it like this. One of my best friends in the world, his name is Brant. And Brant has three sons. And his oldest is named Luke. And whenever Luke was really little, he loved to like run up to me and he would grab a hold of my thumbs and I'd wrap my hands around his fist and I'd pick him up and I'd just swing him in the air like this. And he'd laugh and he'd laugh and he'd want to do that all day long. Well, let me ask you, the reason that he was able to do that and stay suspended off the ground and to have an incredible time, was that because he was so strong and he was holding onto my thumbs so tightly? No. It's because I was holding so tightly to him and I was strong enough to make sure that I never let him go. And so he just enjoyed the moment. That's the picture that I want you to have in your mind. Whenever you think of abiding, you do run to Lord and the Lord and you cling closely to him, that you hold on to him. But even whenever your strength fails, if you're a redeemed child of God, you take comfort. You take security in the fact that he is holding on to you and he is determined to never let you go. Nothing can pluck you from the Father's hand. God's love abides. This is the love of God that I want you to see this morning.
I want you to see that God's love initiates, God's love sacrifices, and God's love abides. And this love is available to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whenever we receive that love, the gospel of John, excuse me, 1 John makes it very clear that we're meant to extend that to those that are around us. We have a very clear responsibility here that those who have received this love are meant to extend this love. That we're meant to show this love to the world around us. So we've seen that God's love initiates, God's love sacrifices, God's love abides. The last thing, the practical application that I want you to see this morning is this, is that our love imitates. Our love imitates. And what I mean by that is this, we are meant to follow the example of our God and love those around us the same way that he has loved us. First John is so incredibly clear about that. It is painting this beautiful picture of the way in which God has loved us, but over and over and over again, it's saying that we are meant to move towards others in the same way. That we're meant to love others in the same way. First John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. First John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Verse 21. A commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so what that means for us is that the love of God is not meant to just stop with you. You're not just meant to be a recipient of this love. No, we're to be Psalm 67 people and we've received the blessing of the love of God and we're meant to move out and use that blessing to bless others, to love others the same way that he has loved us. So what does that mean? It means that you initiate. It means that you move towards people in the same way that he moved towards us. That you don't just sit idly by waiting for people to come to you, but you are purposeful in your pursuit of people. You chase after people. The call to follow Jesus is the call to follow people. Jesus says that he will make us fishers of men. You initiate. You chase after people. It means you sacrifice. That you lay down freedoms. You lay down opinions. You lay down your pride in order to pursue people well and love people well. And it means that you abide. It means that you stick closely beside people. It means you fight for people, not against people. It means we chase after others the same way that God has pursued us. The way that we love one another, it matters. It matters because the way that we love one another is meant to display the ultimate love that God has for us. When people look at your life and they look at the way that you love others, specifically the way that you love those of the household of faith, they should get a glimpse of the ultimate love that God has for us. Jesus himself tells us this in the gospel of John, verses, uh, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what I want for us. Real quickly, as we close, I just want to tell you a story of how I've seen this in the lives of college students here recently. 
some of you may know that there was a young girl in our community who died tragically a few weeks ago. And there is two students in our ministries particular who are, who are really close to this girl who passed away. And this girl was really young. This was wildly unexpected. And as you can imagine, or perhaps as some of you know, that's the kind of pain that just, there's no words for. That's the kind of pain that as a leader, you just, I just wish that I could just say something and make it all go away, but I can't. But in the midst of this incredible tragedy, I saw something remarkable in our ministry. I saw college students surround these two girls who had lost their friend and love them so incredibly well. I saw students initiate. I saw students go to their apartment and just sit with them and weep with them. I saw students unprompted surround them in worship gatherings and lay hands on them and pray for them. I saw broke college students sacrifice and buy meals for these two girls leading up to their friend's funeral. I saw students rally around their friends in the midst of tragedy and choose to cling closely to them. But let me tell you this, I wasn't the only one who saw it. You see, one of these girls has a roommate who is not a believer. And a few weeks ago, this roommate said to one of our students, said, you know, I don't believe what you believe, but watching your faith and watching your community surround you and love you like this, it's truly incredible. And I haven't seen anything like it. What's that? That is light breaking through the darkness. That's what that is. That's a group of people who know God's love for them and choose to move towards others in love. That's what I want us to be about. I want us to be a people who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we serve a God who loves us beyond compare. And I want us to move towards others in the same way. And if we do, I believe that we will be a part of pushing back against the kingdom of darkness and advancing the kingdom of light for the glory of our risen King, Jesus. Would you pray with me? Here this morning, I just, I just deeply want you to know this love that God has for you. And if you want to be a part of this, if you want to be a part of advancing the kingdom of light, pushing back against the kingdom of darkness, then you first must be in a relationship with Jesus. You must receive this love. So here in a moment, we're going to sing another song, and there's going to be pastors and prayer partners here at the front. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus... I want you to know that you can do that this morning. God's love is available for you. He wants you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've already surrendered your life to the Lord, but there's a situation or a circumstance in your life in which it is really difficult for you to see and know the love of God. We would be honored to pray with you about that. The altar is open. You can come and kneel there are pastors and prayer partners here in the front that would love to pray for you if you'd like someone to pray for you. You can stand and sing of how deep the Father's love is for you, however the Lord is stirred in your heart. 
I want to encourage you to respond.